the end of the day, it is all about controlling that constant feedback loop that is your life. You get stimuli from the experiences you have and you react in some form or shape. We want to control that response. And I hope you've learned quite a bit on how to do this from these episodes so far. In my last episode, I wanted to emphasize how important it is to set up the social environment your mind interacts with, since our brain's mirror neurons unconsciously soak in the environment and therefore our surroundings have a tremendous impact on us. Mindfulness practice, on the other hand, is a continuation of self-awareness, where rather than just understanding how you naturally react to an experience because of your personality, you start to actually decide how much you're going to let the events in your life mentally affect you. Self-awareness is essentially understanding the symbiotic relationship between System 1 and System 2 in your head. The interplay between System 1 and System 2 create and shape your personality. It is your personality. And these patterns become the filter that you view the world with. Which leads us to the fact that we need to talk about something even deeper. It has been implicated throughout the material of System 1 and System 2, but it needs to be discussed in an explicit manner. From our personality's subjective experience of life, we shape the one thing that creates the perception of ourselves, the world around us, and reality itself. Our memory. Our recordings of the past are what we use to make sense of the world. But how accurate are these recordings of reality? Now, our memory is a complex cognitive system that is mediated by the system 1 neural networks in our brain. Humans possess a tremendous ability to store information, but a true photographic memory where you can retrieve a past experience from your mind and examine it in detail, like a computer, has never been proven to exist. We do, however, have a tendency to capture spatial information more vividly and it is something that comes natural to us. Memory champions, for example, use our powerful spatial memory to recall even non-spatial knowledge with creative and engaging techniques like the memory palace. Spatial knowledge comes naturally to us because our system one constantly creates cognitive maps, mental representations of our physical environment that we store in our memory so we can use them to navigate ourselves safely through our surroundings. Thus, we create internalized maps of the world in our mind. These maps are, however, not only restricted to the physical world. They are created from what you see, from what you're told, and from what you can imagine. And it is here our memory becomes susceptible to things that are not real. Since the 70s, memory scientists have conducted research leading to a fundamental change in our understanding of how memories are formed. Our memories are not just imprinted in our brain from the moment of their inception. Memories are constantly being reconstructed over time, by yourself and by others. This reconstruction is at large caused by the time compression of events in your memory and misinformation. When you feed people misinformation about some experience they might have had, you can distort or even change their memory. Multiple studies succeeded in doing this by planting completely false memories in subjects that even changed the subject's behavior and attitudes towards the things related to that experience. Misinformation creates an error in the memory retrieval process, which enables the memory to be modified or a false memory to be planted 
in the memory center of the brain. And in our world, misinformation is everywhere. You are fed misinformation by your family, your friends, by the media, and society in general that are probably completely oblivious to this very fact. At some point, you probably thought Santa Claus was real. At some point, people did not believe that smoking caused cancer. And today, there exist many other beliefs in people's minds that are not rooted in reality. In the modern view of human memory, memories are depictions of the past, not recordings of reality. And that autobiographical memory you have of your life are filled with stories that may or may not be based in truth. Those stories can also change over time. Thus, all memories are to some degree false. They can even be completely false, and we wouldn't know because we cannot reliably distinguish between true and false memories. The source of a memory may not be from experience, but from misinformation or imagination. You see, the main purpose of our memory is not to actually record past events in an objectively accurate manner. The neuroscience strongly indicates that our memory is all about preparing us for the future. And to do that, you actually need a little fiction. In the default mode network, there is a brain structure called the hippocampus, which basically works as our memory center. With the help of fMRI scans, research has shown us that our ability to create imagination is also located in the hippocampus, and these are actually linked together in what has been termed as the remembering imagining system. The link was first identified in patients with hippocampal amnesia that could not remember the past nor imagine future experiences. Your imagination is actually memories rearranged to put together a vision of the future. When people remember, they imagine, and when they imagine, they use memory. The research also strongly implicates that the brain not only uses memory to predict the future, it imagines false memories to maintain a confident, coherent, and positive self. Our memories generate meanings, personal meanings, that allow us to make sense of the world and operate in an adaptive manner. Each person's memory consists of cognitive maps which represents an imperfect perception of the world we live in. They are, however, still what we consider to be reality. In psychology, they call these cognitive frameworks or schemas. Schemas can be described as systems for organizing and perceiving new information. We have schemas for people, for objects, social behavior, ourselves, and for everything else we perceive. They influence our attention and the absorption of new knowledge. We are more likely to notice things that fit into our schema while reinterpreting contradictions as exceptions or distorting them to fit in. Our natural tendency is to outright reject new contradicting information to protect our subjective mindset and our need for coherence. You see, it is all part of a system to keep that fragile ego of yours protected. The loop of life can easily create a skewed picture of the world in our mind. A picture created by a fictive person, that inner voice in your head, that is, your ego. But wouldn't you want to build your values and beliefs from the most objective grounds of reality? Every cognitive map is constructed from the events of human lives. They create our human beliefs that are all, to some degree, all part of a false, imagined human reality. Why, you might ask? Well, 
In our past, it didn't really matter whether our beliefs were true or not, but whether they drove the right behavior. And they have. Today, we are by far the most dominant species on this planet, and many argue it is because our ability to believe in fiction has allowed us to cooperate in bigger and more complex systems than any other animal. Our human society as we know it today would not exist if it weren't for imagined social constructs like human rights, democracy, or money. There are many made-up constructs that have unquestionable benefits. There are, however, many beliefs out there that are limiting for people's agency and for people's mental well-being and happiness. It is because we often base our beliefs and values on limited anecdotal evidence, which is stupid and ignorant. Furthermore, we use our beliefs and values in important life decisions which can be fatal given the wrong information. I believe with that single life we have, one should strive to build a better perception of the world to guide us forward. Knowing that your cognitive maps are flawed is the start of that journey. There are three things I encourage you to do in order to combat false limiting beliefs. 1. Limit news and media consumption. Instead, read books, both fiction and non-fiction, to keep an open mindset, challenge your beliefs, and gain new perspectives. There are so many great books out there, but I'll just quickly mention a few here. Sapiens and Homo Deus by Yuval Harari, Factfulness by Hans Rosling, and the already mentioned Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. 2. Journal and reflect on anything you feel is important, from lessons and experiences of your daily life to other things that you keep thinking of. This can be events that upset you, confused you, made you realize something, or made you feel overjoyed. The reflections on paper should be a lot more nuanced and objective than the impressions that stuck in your head. At least it will be much easier afterwards to detect if you exaggerated the subjective experience of an event in your mind. Writing it down will also more likely give your brain some peace of mind. And three, partake in discussions with other open-minded people and get feedback on attitudes, beliefs, and values. It is important that you don't keep your own opinions locked in an echo chamber and let them manifest without really questioning or testing them. Let others critique them and see if your beliefs still hold ground. Different points of view are of course completely fine. Additionally, you will learn a tremendous deal about yourself by asking others about how they perceive you. By giving each other feedback, we can learn and understand so much more about ourselves and each other than we ever could as a single person. In addition to these three practices, I will present in a future episode a powerful introspection tool that can help you overcome even deeply rooted schemas you have. But right now, it is time to transition to the final part of our mind journey. So far, we have largely talked about how to control our brain and its biases. Lastly, I'd like to talk a little bit about how to manipulate our biases to our own advantage, how to hack the brain, if you may. The first hack is a lot less exciting than you may think. It's just a skill of making System 1 work for you and not against you by building productive habits. Simple, yet so difficult for many people to develop. 
Habitual formation is actually not part of our memory, but located in another brain structure in System 1 by the name of the basal ganglia. Our habits are on average responsible for a whopping 40% of our daily activities. How to actually build productive habits is something that I'll save for another episode. I will go through how habits are constructed, how to form them, and share some powerful practices that will help you boost your own daily routine. The second hack is a bit more out there. My purpose with this episode has been to shed some light on the fact that how you actually perceive the world from what you see, from what you hear, and from what you imagine is not necessarily a good representation of reality. I've told you that human brains have developed the ability to believe in fiction, which no other animal can do. This ability is something that we can actually use as a tool. It is what I believe many motivational speakers refer to as the power of the mind for various reasons, not all of them empirically validated. What I'm talking about is the power of visualization. There is a lot of pseudoscience connected to the term. However, from everything we have discussed today, you might realize it is not as far-fetched as you may think. Deliberately using your imagination might be one of the best tools for preparing yourself for the future, which is, after all, your memory's main function. A number of studies in high-effort activities, such as playing musical instruments or sports, have showed us that subjects mentally practicing certain routines of skill vividly in their mind, like a piano melody or a jump shot, nearly achieve the same improvements as subjects actually doing the physical practice. Bear in mind that the results only applied to the subjects that weren't complete novices in the given activity, but the research further illustrates that our mind does not know the difference between experiencing something familiar and imagining something familiar, and that is a powerful tool. While our mirror neurons make us subconsciously learn by observing behavior, visualizing can also help us learn behavior and build our skills. A possible explanation to this is that we're training the filter of attention that we have, a filter that decides what information enters into our conscious system too. It is something called the reticular activation system, which lies on top of the brainstem. Neuroscientists argue that practicing visualization can prime your reticular activation system to notice and focus on specific things that are important in a particular context, thus helping you succeed in your activity or sport. It seems like visualization helps you pay attention and execute on the specific goals that you set by running simulations in your head. So rather than Letting your negative thoughts consume your mind and mental well-being, it is fully possible to create thoughts that motivate you to achieve your goals of the future. In reality, the idea of the future is a fiction. It has to be. Your future self is an imagined reality. Thus, there is no such thing as personal potential. But in your mind, you can create it you can construct a positive fiction of your future self. A person that is happy, healthy, and growing constantly. Take control of that future self, otherwise other people will do it for you and probably do a shitty job. Create a vision of the future you will be motivated by. Set your goals, write them down, and define them as scenes, 
just like a screenplay. Create vivid mental imagery and be specific. Visualize the experience and the emotion. If you want to lose weight, set a number and imagine yourself going to the gym, lifting weights, running on the treadmill, and eating healthy. Then imagine how it will feel like standing on the weight scale and having that number you set look right back at you. If you want to read more, set a specific number of hours every week you'll read and imagine yourself reading at a cafe or in your bed every Sunday, writing down your own reflections. Then imagine the feeling of gaining new knowledge and insight that will help you improve yourself. This is how you visualize. And when you realize that all of your goals are just processes of tasks and activities, why wouldn't you use visualization to prime yourself for success? If you do not know exactly what you want to visualize yet, well, we have methods for figuring that out too. My next episodes will be related mostly to this very topic. In regard to the computational theory of mind, the brain has many flaws. But this misconception has led to many wrongful assumptions of the mind. The brain is just vastly more complex and cannot be simply reduced to a comparison of digital computers. Our brain is amazing both in its brilliance and its mysteries and its quote-unquote flaws. Your entire life runs on the weird gray matter in your head. Why wouldn't you obsess over improving and forming it? And yet, not only do most of us not obsess over our own mind, most of us don't even understand how it works or why it works the way it does. There are many mysteries of the brain that we have not covered here, but this is the basis for what I believe is worth mentioning for now. This is the beginning of building a so-called growth mindset, the belief that you can improve your mind and your perceived reality through practice. I will keep debunking limited beliefs in the series to help you achieve just that. And freed from the shackles of a fixed mindset, I want you to take charge of your future loop of life and get your shit together. That's it for me today. I hope you like this podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe. And until next time, get your fucking shit together.